I know some people like to know where you're going when, when you're at the beginning of a trip, you want to know the final destination. And, and so this morning, where we're going with this is just, uh, we're talking about the name and uh, the Lord's name. And, we're, and so I just want to talk a little bit about kind of introducing this idea of not a name, but the name of the Lord. And also uh, want to talk to you about one of those names, and that is uh, Emmanuel. And I know that with that whole wanting to know where you want to, where we're going and, and where is the final destination, I kind of feel that way about the Word of God. And, and, uh, and I'm always looking at, you know, that final picture in Revelation where it's every tongue, every tribe, every nation around the throne of God. And, and always thinking that's, that's on God's mind. That's the final destination, redeeming and reconciling all these different peoples from all over the world. And so, but one of the things that gives us another picture of that, that final result is Zechariah 7.14. says, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. And I don't know if you've ever sat around and thought about the significance of a name, but uh, maybe, maybe this has happened to you. Uh, maybe you have a childhood memory of being in a store and uh, getting separated from your parents and you're wandering around and, and you see someone that looks like the back of your parents and you, you call out to them, but they don't respond and you call out again and, and they start. And so then maybe you think as a, if you're a smart child, you use their first name as a parent you know, Stuart, Joyce, hey, and they don't turn around. And so you run up and, and you tap them or grab their hand and then they turn around and it's not your parents' face. Oh, and that's a freaky thing for a little kid. But, but maybe you've done that as an adult. You've called out to somebody thinking it was someone that you knew and only for them to turn around and you see their face and it's not, the name doesn't go with that face. It's a different person. And I know that a lot of times for us, usually when you picture, when you bring someone to mind, a person you know to mind, usually you don't picture their feet, you don't picture their knees, you don't picture their shoulders, you picture their face. And so as, as people, we usually picture a face, and with the face, you associate a name. And that's how we begin to recognize people or to know people. It begins with a name and a face. Well, with God, no one has ever seen his face, yet we do have his name. And with that name, we associate it with him, who he is. And it's by his name that we come to recognize the Lord, that we come to know the Lord. His name tells us about his identity. And it's by his name that the Lord reveals who he is and who he is not. You see, if the Lord says that he is the everlasting father, we can understand something about him and his intentions with humanity if we know what a good earthly father is. And we can know by that name, everlasting father, that he will not abandon his role as father or Abba Daddy. We can know that by his name. Now, have you ever thought about the name that God wants to be known by? The name that God wants to be known by. Well, maybe think of it this way. Have you ever had someone that maybe called you by something that's not your name? I know maybe for some of us it's happened in, in a very negative way. Maybe there's some men here in this room that can remember a time when you were insulted 
with a certain name, maybe on a basketball court or, or something like that, some sort of scenario. Maybe there are some women here in this room that you've been degraded with a certain name. You know, to be, to be intentionally renamed in such a way to put an, an insulting or degrading meaning upon your identity hurts. It really hurts. Now, sometimes there's folks, you know, that you run into, they're friendly, they're just forgetful and they just don't listen. And you, you tell them your name, but you ever had somebody who called you by a name that's not your own? Yeah, I remember a coach back in high school, he could never get my name right. It was always Shane, Sean. And finally he just gave up and started calling me Mac. And it was like, huh? all right, whatever. Yeah, there's a certain point where you overlook that kind of stuff when people call you by a name that's not your own. And, but eventually, you know, after a while, that, you, know, you, you start correcting that person. I mean, for your own sake and for their sake, because it'll be quite embarrassing, you know, 10 months later, they're still calling you by a name that's not yours, and they find out, that's not their name? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I've been calling them that for 10 months, you know? So it's, it's interesting, this whole thing of a name. But I've been watching uh, this old TV movie series uh, that was made a while back. It's called Roots, and for a lot of you, that's probably before your time, you don't even know what that's about, but it, it's, it's a really a painful story. It's a painful retelling of one African family's uh, capture into slavery and the story of their enslavement over several generations in the United States. And the patriarch of that family, the first man who was captured from Africa and taken into slavery, is Kunta Kinte. And Kunta Kinte is continually reminding his family who he is and where they came from, the people that they came from, and is reminding his family particularly and saying that your family was once free. We were not always in slavery. Don't ever forget that, ever. And there's a dramatic scene in, in Roots where uh, Kunta is forced to respond to a new name that's been given to him, the new name Toby, which is his, uh, his ma- white master gave him. And Kunta refuses to say his name is Toby. My name is not Toby. My name is Kunta Kinte. And, and, he, and he's forced to say this until he is nearly beaten to death. And even though Kunta plays the game with his white masters, every time he has the chance, he tells his child the story of his people, the story of their land, the story of his African name and how he got it and, and the meaning of his child's African name. And because Kunta instills this in his descendants, they are one of the few African-American families that were able to maintain hope by hanging on to their identity. And all that through a name. Through a name. A name is important. And there's, there's just a couple of things from that example that I just want to point out to you that I think is, is spiritually true for us and our Heavenly Father. And the two things are this. Name matters to God and name matters to his children. You see, God is concerned about how he is known. God reveals his name to us, not the other way around. We don't make up names for God. You don't walk up to someone you just met and say, hey, I'm going to call you Alfie. (laughs) No, sorry, the name is Shannon. Told you that earlier, not Alfie. 
you know? Yet there are some people in our world who do exactly that with God. And they don't listen to God and wait for him to reveal his name and what he de- how he desires to be known. You know, and his name matters to his children. You see, his name, which reveals his identity, also reveals his children's identity. You see, if he is the shepherd, we are the sheep. If he is the potter, we are the clay. Yeah. And if he is the king, we are his servants. You see, his name helps define who we are. There's a lot of people that say they're lost, and they're going to go looking for themselves. You know what? You probably shouldn't start there. You should start with looking for God, because once you find God and know who he is, then you know who you are. That's how the defining works. So how serious is God about his name? You know, through the prophets and through the Son, he has spoken, even given commands about his name. In Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, my praise to idols. In the Ten Commandments, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. See, God desires his people to keep his name holy. And that word holy means set apart, special, unlike any other. That's how God wants us to hold his name in reverence, not just with our mouths, but with our lives. And though God has revealed his identity by giving us many names, through the Son, he has revealed that we are to be immersed into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that there is one name that is exalted above all other names. And you know, most of you know what that name is. And I'll talk more about that when we come to closer to Christmas Day. But today, I want to briefly mention a name God revealed long ago that not only tells us about his identity, but his intentions. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, our, our team of those who communicate on Sunday morning, each one of us is, is picked a name that, that is special to us, the name of the Lord. And uh, I, I picked Emmanuel. And uh, a big part of that is just when I was around 18 years old. Um, a time when I was really reckoning things with who my heavenly father was and who my earthly father was and recognizing that uh, I grew up in a divorced home, saw my father in special times, special moments, recognizing that God, my father, was not the same as my earthly father. You see, my earthly father was a nice guy, was there for me in special moments, special occasions, but through the normal times of life, he wasn't there. But you see, God isn't like that. You see, God is with me and with us all the time. And he's not just a nice guy far away that shows up for special occasions. He's there through the dailiness of life. You see, by his name, the Lord tells us he is drawing near to us in such a way to draw us near to him. Now, how the Lord did this? How did he actually be Emmanuel? How did he become Emmanuel? What culminates in the Christ story, in the Christmas story? In a miraculous way, the son is born of a virgin. The creator enters creation among his creatures. The bird who made the nest 
is, hatches himself within it. The one from whose hands came planets and stars now has such tiny arms he cannot even stretch them out to touch the heads of the cattle that are surrounding the manger that he lies in. No one would have suspected God coming to earth would ever be so helpless. No one would have expected the one who made the world would not be at home in it, being, being shoved aside into a stable, no room in the inn. And there in the filthiest place in the world, a stable, purity was born. The Son of God made man, entered his own world through the back door. And that's why so many missed him. You see, divinity is always where one least expects to find it. But Emmanuel wasn't close enough in a stable. And in fulfilling his mission at the cross, resurrecting from the dead, he then sent his Holy Spirit to reside within his followers, those who trusted in his name. The God who is love draws near to me, a sinful, mere mortal, to draw me near to himself in order to draw me within the circle of that community of love that existed eternally among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's inviting us all into that. You see, before any human ever came into the picture, God was already love and existed in a community of love. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. And the love between the Father and Son was embodied in the Spirit. I was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ to become a co-lover with him and his Father and his Spirit. You know what? It's not only God with us. It's God in us. And we are in him. Divinity is always where one least expects to find it. Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord constantly reassures us that this is true, yet we are always doubting. It's so hard for us to accept it. <coughs> in the Great Commission, he reminds us in that, and reassures us that surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. When he's speaking with his disciples before his death, he reassures them. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Divinity is always where one least expects to find it. Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just the title of the Lord's name, but it reveals his heart and his intent for us from the very beginning. Even in the time before him coming in the flesh, he would tell his people things like this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. His servant David, who became king, trusted in God's presence. 
trusted his presence with, it, with him, and he said this, and he said these words that many of you know from a famous psalm that's, that's quoted in movies every time there's a funeral scene. Psalm 23, what does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. God is always reassuring, of the, reassuring us of these things. Right now, I, I like Nate and the band and some of those who are helping me communicate this message in the creative arts to come on up. I think sometimes we scratch our heads when we hear this and we say, really? Really? Even in the valley of death, you're with me? Even when things are at their worst and everything is going wrong and my life is falling apart, even then you are with me? God says, yes. And I know that there's times when there's terrible things that have happened against people. And God hates it just as much as you do. The sin that is done against us. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't there. He was. And this is the place where I think our Lord and our maker has his heart grieved the most. It's here where, when he is walking with us in this valley, suffering with us, and we turn and say, where are you, God? Where are you? I think it crushes. Don't you know that God doesn't abandon his people in the midst of sorrow, pain, or suffering, but that he is in fact with you, with us, in the midst of it all, enduring with us. The Lord never promised life without trouble. We've got to get that through our heads. The Lord never promised us life without trouble. In fact, he guaranteed the exact opposite. The Lord tells us, and he told us, that we would have trouble in this world. You're going to face it. But are you going to face it by yourself or with him? You see, the hope that is in Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, the hope that he's given us by his name and by his identity is the hope that the one who has overcome the world is with us and will never leave us. Never. Emmanuel in the good times. Emmanuel in the valley of death. Divinity is always where one least expects to find it. With you and me. Dear God, for those who have trusted in your name, called out to you for your salvation, Father, I just pray that you would just communicate by your spirit somehow to each one of us that you are with us. And we don't have to be alone. Father, please, for those who have been, who haven't called out to you, your name who have been walking alone Lord I pray that they can know that they don't have to be alone any longer please in the next few moments Lord speak to our hearts through your word through the songs this worship in Jesus name Amen